Bounce and pull out. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats, a playoff special. We're in the middle of playoffs. Things are rolling along, and we got ourselves a presenting sponsor, and it's Taco Bell. That's right. Flippin' Bats is sponsored by Taco Bell. Get the Cantina Crispy Melt Taco today at participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. I couldn't think of a better presenting sponsor than Taco Bell. I've had my fair share in the day, and I am pumped about this one. But let's get into this episode. Of course, we're going to round the bases off the top. We're going to get to an awesome conversation with Alex Avila, who played 13 years in the big leagues, just retired. We got a fun conversation with him coming soon. And then we're going to get into some top fives in a little while. Top five uh, playoff performances so far, and top five playoff atmospheres. This one's going to be fun, and there's going to be one that surprises you a little bit, guaranteed. But off the top, as usual, let's round the bases with some storylines from the, the Division Series round that we just got through, and it was incredible. Some great series that we saw, and I want to start with the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros bounced the Chicago White Sox. They are out, a series that I didn't uh, you know what? I didn't think this would happen the way it went down. And, and I said this many times, and this was a theme uh, uh, throughout the playoffs. I think pitching wins in the playoffs. That's why I liked this White Sox team. I like this White Sox team a lot. I like them to win the World Series. But this Astros team just proved to be too much for them. They just kept coming and coming and coming. And this dominant offense was too much for them. This dominant offense with this postseason experience, experience, by the way, that, that has never been seen before. Let's look at Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, and Yuli Gurriel. Those four teammates have played more postseason games than any other four teammates in the history of baseball. And it showed this series. You know, they, they go into Houston, the series starts in Houston. They win those first two games there, handle business, and then they go back to they go back to Chicago, or they go to Chicago, where Chicago the White Sox take that first game, game three, handily, and then it, this series kind of became, is this is this a little is this a turning point we're about to see? Are we about to see a, a, a shift in this series? But we didn't. They came out that next day, the Astros, in game four with Carlos Rodon on the mound against them, who's a, a, who was a Cy Young candidate for most of the year, by the way. And they just, they roughed him up. They got to him. They end up winning the game handily. One, one particular moment, by the way, in that game that sticks out to me is the one that really broke this game open, that really was the end of the series, is in the third inning, Carlos Correa comes up with the bases loaded, the White Sox stick with Carlos Rodon. Correa's up, gets a huge hit, drives in two runs. And, and I listened to the post-game interview after. And Correa said, yeah, I saw him strike out Bregman early in the game on that exact pitch. And he comes off the mound, pumping his chest, yelling and screaming. So I knew that's what he wanted to do. 
I knew that's where he wanted to go. That's where he wanted to get his energy from, his passion from, that pitch, striking somebody out on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone. He was ready for that. That's stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. That's stuff that these Astros that have played together in the playoffs more than any teammates in history, that's the difference. That's what this team has that you can't account for. So no matter how good this White Sox team is, and this White Sox team was very, very good, this pitching staff is going to be a problem for a long time to come. The back end of the bullpen, they're really good. But the Houston Astros just proved to be better. They had the experience. They have the talent. They have an offense that just doesn't stop coming at you. They have an MVP, a guy that's going to get MVP votes in the seven hole in that lineup. Are you kidding me? There's not a deeper offense in baseball. This team's special. This team is advancing in the playoffs. And this team is going to be a problem for anybody that they run into. And this team is going to play another very talented team, which let's, let's go over to second base. This leads me into second base. The Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox take down the number one seed in the American League, a fantastic baseball team, in the Tampa Bay Rays. They're gone. The Rays are done. People were picking them for the, for the World Series. People, you know, you ask many experts, 80% of them, 90% of them are going to take the Rays in this first series. The Rays matched up really well against this Red Sox team. The Red Sox are here because of their offense. Their offense is so good. But one thing that they don't do great is they don't pitch great. But it didn't matter in this series. This was an awesome series, I thought. I loved every game of this series. The first one starts out. The Rays win easily. They shut them out. Everybody says, yep, that's, that's how this series is going to go. We knew it. Then the Red Sox make an absolute statement in game two. I mean a statement. They come up. They come out. They put up. A bunch of runs. They got everybody hitting home runs. They got Kike Hernandez with four extra base hits in a game. They get down early. They got their guy on the mound in Chris Sale, who gives up a grand slam in the first inning. And myself, I said, yeah, this, this series is going to be over quick. But kudos to the Red Sox for bouncing back, putting up a bunch of runs, and winning that game and shifting the momentum. Then they go... Back to Fenway. They go to Fenway, and they don't end up leaving. They take care of business there. Game three was awesome. Both of these games, game three and game four, were just great baseball games in Fenway. What a great atmosphere for a baseball game. And, you know, th that is a big factor for me in this series. This playoff atmosphere in, in Boston is one that you can't get used to. It's intimidating. You can go in there, and just like what happened to the Rays, you might never come out. And that's what happened. They go in in a split series, and they don't win a game, and they end up losing. But what an incredible series. Some great games. Game three and game four were fantastic. Some, some heroes arose on the offensive end of things for the Red Sox that we just didn't expect, by the way. Kike Hernandez became the star for this team in the division series. He's a big reason that they're moving on to the CS against the Houston Astros. Of course, you have Devers, who was injured. 
but steps up and hits a huge bomb in game four. An absolute moonshot to get the scoring started. And from there, that was ball game. They didn't look back. The Red Sox end up advancing and winning that series and, and advancing to the ALCS now against those Houston Astros. So what an incredible series we're about to get, by the way, that starts Friday night in Houston. Astros, Red Sox, ALCS, the first Astros, or, or the Astros' fifth ALCS in a row, by the way. The fifth in a row, which got me to thinking, this doesn't happen often. They're the third team in history to go to five straight American League championships, or not even American League, five straight championship series. Only been done by the Atlanta Braves, who did it eight times in the 90s, and the Oakland A's, who did it in the 70s. They did it five times. And now tied with them is the Houston Astros from 2017 to this year. The active streak. Five years in a row in the ALCS. Think about that. Think about that. All, you have all these teams with the, the best payrolls, and you've got a team that's now going five years in a row, and they get to take on one of the most storied franchises in the history of this game, the Boston Red Sox. I could not be more excited. So kudos to the Red Sox for taking down the number one seed in the American League. Coming out of this as a wild card team, a team that we didn't even expect, a team that in the last game of the year against the Nationals, we didn't even know if they'd win that game and get into the playoffs. But they do. They squeak in. They beat their arch rival, the New York Yankees, and their reward for that was playing the number one seed in the American League, and they beat them too. So congratulations to the Boston Red Sox. I can't wait for that series to come up. But let's head on over to third. Another exciting series. This one? Still rolling. We get a game five. The NL West clash. Better than advertised. You know, these two teams were the best two teams in baseball this year. The Giants were the best team in baseball, followed right on their heels by the LA Dodgers. So these two teams, one of them was bound to get a wild card spot, which sucks. It ended up being the Dodgers. The Dodgers get in. The Dodgers win that game. And then they face off in the playoffs. These two teams have never played in the playoffs. This is a huge rivalry. Up there with the Red Sox and the Yankees. One of the best rivalries in the history of the game. And they have never played in the playoffs until now. Until now. And we're getting a game five. This series has gone... You couldn't draw it up better. Look, and they've each been winning at their own game. The Giants come out at home and win game one in a low-scoring battle. Their bullpen comes, out, comes in and saves, and, and saves the day. Logan Webb spins the best gem of the playoffs so far. Seven and two-thirds, ten punch-outs, throws fantastic. The bullpen comes in and shuts the door. They win the game. Then the next game, the Dodgers score some runs. The offense wins them that game. Julio Urias threw great, though. Then it goes to L.A. The Giants win that first one, one to nothing, in a very well-pitched game from start to finish. And then, and then yeah, the, the wind swirling in that game. The last play of the game, a deep fly ball off Gavin Lux's bat. He throws his hands up. He thinks he ties the game. The wind 
which, look, we filmed this in L.A. I'm in L.A. That game was in L.A. The win that day was insane. And it truly played a big factor in that game. On both sides. On both sides. It wasn't just that last play. But Gavin Lux thought he hit a homer in that game to tie it. He didn't. Giants win. And then game four, which I was at. I was at game four. Their offense showed up. And the Dodgers end up winning that game. This series has been perfect. And now we get a game five. Now the series goes back to San Francisco. And we're going to get another start from Logan Webb. I can't wait. I am so excited. This series has been better than advertised. And I don't even know if that was possible. These are the two best teams in baseball. An absolute rivalry. And now we get them in a game five to go to the NLCS. It's perfect. I'm excited. I think Logan Webb is going to throw another gem. And I can't wait to watch that one. But let's head on to home plate. Round in third. Heading home. And it is the story of these playoffs so far. The offenses. The offenses are reigning supreme. I have said pitching wins in the playoffs. And I do believe that, but to this point, it hasn't. Look at who's winning these series. The Braves. The Astros. The Red Sox. All the superior offensive team. So, so far in this postseason, what, what has been proven is that the offense is going to win. you got to have an offense that steps up. The Brewers, the Brewers are a team that come to mind. There, there's not a better pitching rotation in baseball. And you know what their pitching rotation did in the playoffs? They threw great. They did what they were supposed to do. They just didn't score any runs. And that's been the name of the game. Offenses are winning this. You got to put up some runs. The Braves end up winning that series. The Braves got good pitching, but they ended up with better offense. Jock Peterson. It's Jocktober, baby. Jock Peterson steps up in multiple of those games. Freddie Freeman in the game in the series clincher with a huge home run off of off of the best closer in baseball, perhaps. Josh Hader. The better hitting beat the better pitching. The Astros series. The better hitting. The best lineup in baseball, perhaps, the best offense in baseball all year long, statistically, won this series against one of the best rotations, the best rotation in the American League. That's been the story. That's been the big story of this playoffs, is that the offense is winning. And now we get to head to an ALCS where we know we're going to get offense. Two of the hottest, not only are these the two of the best offenses in the American League, but two of the hottest offenses in the American League. So we get an offensive series, which I'm pumped to watch. And then on the other side, you get a Braves good offense. And who knows? If, if the theme sticks, if the theme sticks here, if offense truly reigns supreme in the playoffs like it has every other series, are the Dodgers going to win game five? Because that's been the theme. But offense has been winning these games. I'm excited for the championship series. I'm excited for game five. I'm excited to see how it shapes out. But as I've always said, Pitching wins in the playoffs? Not this year. Not this year. But look, what, who better to bring in than our guest that we have? A 13-year 13 13 big league player. 
Let's ask him about that. What does he think about these playoffs? Let's ask him a bunch of these questions. I'm excited to get to it. Let's bring in our guest, Alex Avila. Alex, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me on. I mean, I've, uh, I've been following a little bit. You've been doing awesome, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. I appreciate that. And, and so have you. I, I saw you recently on MLB Network, absolutely killing it. Uh, just retired by the way, and now already killing it on MLB Network. So I'm excited to see more <laughs> from you. And now it's it's playoff time, Alex. So let's get right into that. Let's talk about the playoffs, and let's start in, in, in the American League with what we just watched with the Red Sox and the Rays. The Red Sox as the wild card team pulling off the upset. Did, did you see that coming? I mean, I, it wasn't even really, you know, they ended it pretty quickly, didn't even go back to Tampa. Did you see that coming? Yeah, they took advantage of, of the fact that they were up, obviously, and in Boston. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I, I saw that coming, uh, but what I did see was a hot team because we ended up playing them, obviously, the last weekend of the se- of the season, and they needed to win out uh, against us uh, in D.C. Uh, in order to you know get that opportunity in the wild card. And it was a team on a mission. Um, they looked really good. They looked like they were playing together as a team, and – you know, that's that's kind of like the M.O. usually when you have a team that has to play every day like it matters. They need to win every single day. Going into the playoffs hot like that uh, is usually a team that's going to, um, you know, make a, a long run in that postseason. And they got hot at the right time, really. You guys almost played spoiler there that last day of the year. It looked yeah. for what it was worth. Like, you guys are going to pull that out. And they were going to have to battle their ass off to get into the playoffs. But they ended up winning that and making it into the playoffs. And now here they are. Now they take down the number one seed in, in all of the American League. Um, what, what do you think was the key factor for them here? I thought the Rays matched up well with them in terms of, you know, pitching. You know, with pitching, they can match up against anybody, really. What do you think the key factor was in terms of them beating the number one seed in the American League? Well, I, I, I agree with you there. I thought they matched up pretty well. I mean, obviously, the Rays, with their pitching, what they've been able to do all season has been incredible. You know, they, but they, they did have to play Boston uh, quite a bit over the regular season. So those hitters have seen those pitchers over and over again, especially the way they utilize those guys uh, and Kevin Cash, how he uses them out of the bullpen. I mean, those guys are coming in. They're seeing their best relievers over and over and over again. It's not like they have starters going, you know, six, seven, eight innings. And, you know, as a hitter, you just start to feel more comfortable the more you see guys. And I think you notice that, you know, over the course of that series where the Boston uh, hitters started to feel much more comfortable in the box and, you know, they had a few guys that get real hot. Um, you know, Kyle Schwarber is one of my favorite guys to watch play baseball. I was, you know, lucky enough to be his teammate for a year this year. Um, right. And, you know, I think he made that whole lineup better once he got back healthy for them. And and you could just see it throughout that series. I think uh, some of their guys got hot at the right time and they just started to feel comfortable and feed off each other. And the Rays just couldn't really get anything going. I mean, they had they had their moments, but um, you got to give it to 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 Alex uh, Cora there and as far as how he managed the bullpen and because uh, there were some games where he needed to make some quick decisions and he wasn't afraid to and some of their guys out of the pen stepped up. Speaking of that lineup and, and you know certain guys getting hot at the right time one guy that is seemingly just hot all the time Rafael Devers is just an absolute yeah. stud um, but I'm really glad that we got you on uh, for this conversation because as a catcher a guy that's behind the plate I noticed in this series, Devers 
clearly is not 100%. He looks like he's up at the plate at about 50% right now. And I started noticing the Rays pitching. I mean, hey, he has a forearm issue. And I started noticing the Rays just busting him up and in with heaters. And, you know, heater after heater after heater up and in. As a catcher, is that something that you would have gone to? Like, you see a guy that's clearly injured. So were they just trying to exploit a weakness that they thought he had at the time? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I noticed that even when we played him in the last series, he he didn't look uh, completely healthy, um, but obviously posting up. But I kind of joked with guys during our uh, during our series against him. It was like, you know, it, it only hurt him when he missed the ball. When, when he made contact, he, uh, he you know, <laughs> it, it didn't bother him at all. But, um, you know, we tried to do the same kind of thing as far as try to exploit the weakness, maybe take advantage of that a little bit. But he doesn't really have many holes, and he's the, he's that type of hitter that he could look terrible on, on a pitch um, or on a, on a certain location and then be on at the next one. And, um, you know, as as a catcher behind the plate, you know, you you try to take advantage of that, but a hitter of that caliber, you always have to be mindful of when that guy's going to make an adjustment and, um, you know, and expect him to make an adjustment. So you kind of have to prepare for that going into it and have some sort of feel and, you know, make sure that you're trusting your eyes to where when you think he's about to make that adjustment in order to be able to, you know, combat that and, and, and adjust prior to that. So, uh, but, you know, he was able to make the adjustments he needed to in order to, to, to get to those pitches and, you know, the, the, and the, and the Rays weren't. Yeah. And his, his three run bomb in the final game that seemed like it touched the moon almost was a big reason they advanced they win the ALDS and head to the ALCS. Uh, so let's move on over to the other ALDS series. The the Astros and the White Sox just finish up. The Astros the Astros win that series. One thing I, I thought was interesting in this series, a theme that I had seemed to realize over the years, is that pitching wins in the playoffs. But it seems like always this year. I, I don't know. Is, is there like a shift? You look at these teams that won. The Red Sox, the Astros, when the White Sox have the best pitching staff in the world. The Braves advance over the, the Brewers who have a great pitching staff. Am I losing my mind? Is it no longer pitching wins in the playoffs? What's happening here? No, it, it, it still does. It still does, but it's just, you know, if you're pitching as hot at that, mo- at that time, I remember something Jim Leland would always talk about. And when they would always ask him about momentum, about teams gaining momentum going into the next game, and he goes, momentum is only as good as your next day starter. So, you know, regardless of what that guy's, you know, been doing over the course of the season or the track record um, of that guy going into those games, which is a reason why you you make the decision to pitch, you know, that particular guy or even to bring a guy in in the bullpen. But if he's hot that at that moment, then you ride him. I remember – you know, uh, playoffs a while back in Detroit, Jose Valverde was struggling uh, in the closers role. And uh, and Leland decided to bring in Phil Coke as our closer. He got hot and he rode him throughout the playoffs uh, into that into the World Series against the Giants. So, um, you know, it just depends on when those guys get hot and and how, the, you know, your how the manager decides to b- deploy them. But pitching still is always going to win out. Uh, you need good pitching in order to win in the playoffs. And that was the year, if I'm not mistaken, that Valverde was great in the regular season. I'm a, like he had, didn't he didn't blow a save in the regular season. Didn't blow a save in the regular season, and then gets to the playoffs. And like you said, you just ride the hot hand. You go with the guy that's hot, and and momentum 
You know, that makes sense. I feel better about continuing to say pitching wins in the playoffs, guys. <laughs> Just trust me. It wins in the playoffs. Um, so then, you know, the Astros win those first two at home. You get to game three in Chicago. Turns out the south side of Chicago in the playoffs is the best atmosphere ever. It was sick. Yeah. They blow out the Astros in game three. They have another at home. Did you think after game three that this whole series could have shifted and changed? It, it certainly had the opportunity to do that, but I thought from the get-go, the Astros were, aside from that game three, were, were in control, and, and you saw a team determined. Um, and that's kind of like I, my, my take from watching that, uh, that series was, you know, there wasn't going to be any stopping Houston. I mean, Chicago had had their game, game three. I think they were, you know, obviously – uh, had a bit of extra adrenaline and excite, excitement because they're back in their home ballpark playoff game in Chicago on the south side, which is, you know, playing there, a, a tremendous fan base. And, you know, that that can bring something out of it. But then I think once after that game, once they got into that game four, you know, it allowed the Astros to kind of relax a little bit and they, they got back into control. But I thought from the get-go um, that the Astros, they just looked like a team determined. They were ready to go. Yeah, the, and speaking of that game three, there was a play in that game, which, as a catcher yourself, I need to ask you about this. So, I'm assuming you saw the play, but just a quick setup. Ground ball from Yasmani Grandal to first base. First baseman Yuli Gurriel comes up, throws home. It hits Grandal, who's running in the grass. The catcher, who it goes past him, uh, Maldonado, immediately stands up, points, and says he was, in the, he was in the way. It hit him, goes back, and it turns out the run counted. They, they, they said it was fine. They said it was fair game. Do you, do you think they made the right call there? That's a tough one because obviously the, going the opposite direction, if you have the catcher throwing towards first base to throw the runner out going to first, and if he's in the grass outside of the baseline, then the runner's out. Um, and so there's, I, don't, I don't know if there's actually been a situation where I've actually seen uh, the play the opposite direction where the ball coming from first base hits the runner. But, um, you know, I, that that's a tough one for me. I don't, you know, it, it, when you look at it, I, I don't think they did just because, you know, from the rule, the opposite direction, the, the runner's automatically out and the, the and then the runners go back. But, you know, for, just for, like watching that, it, it's hard to say that that was the correct call. But there's there's always a few rules in baseball, as you know, that that kind of get everybody uh, riled up because you know no one really understands <laughs> how they how they <laughs> exactly. came up with. It. Well, that's kind of that's my opinion as well, and and obviously the rule going the opposite way, which is what happened here, isn't really very cut and dry. But what we found out yeah. is that you know they can kind of do whatever as long as they don't intentionally get in the way. Look, Alex. I played baseball for a long, long time. And from a guy that rolled over a lot of baseballs and had to run down to first base, I have never once run in the grass. You can't tell me that he didn't intentionally get in the way. And kudos for him to him for doing it. If you can get away with it, great. But I know as a catcher yourself, if that happened when you were behind the plate and couldn't catch it, you'd be pretty pissed off. Oh, yeah. I, I would have been I would have been just like Maldonado there. I mean, it, it – I mean, it, it's cause for an ejection for sure because you're you're going to be arguing <laughs> with the umpire, and, and that's something that the umpire is going to be talking about. That it's a judgment call, and it, that's that, those are always tough to swallow as a player, especially when you're when you're on the receiving end like that. Yeah. This. Uh, so 
the Astros go on and advance, but this Astros team, Alex, is special. And, and you've played on some teams, and I look back at those Tigers teams that you were a part of that were special and just had some lineups that were so deep and had studs, but you end up getting into the 6-7 spot in the lineup, and there's still studs there. This Astros team has our, a, a guy that's going to get MVP votes and Kyle Tucker hitting in the seven hole. What yeah. is this team like as a catcher yourself? How do you pitch to a team like that? There's no holes in the lineup. That makes it impossible to get through, right? Oh yeah. No, you're, it's, you're very, very careful. That's for sure. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're an extremely deep, deep team, one through nine in their lineup. Uh, they have good players. And the one thing about it, you know, they have, you know, their core group of guys have been together for a long time. So that's why, you, you see kind of a calmness about them, even through these playoffs, um, obviously, because they, they've been been through it before. But trying to navigate a lineup that deep is very difficult. Like you said, you know, I've, I've had my share of, of uh, run ins with lineups that are that are that potent. And, you know, you're you try to just basically put together a, a game plan as best you can uh, prior to the game. And, you know, you just have to as, as the catcher trying to help try to get your pitcher. Uh, in the best position possible to execute his pitches. And that is the only way you can is if you got a guy on the mound that is just uh, uh, on that day and, and is executing well, and you're, you're bound to make mistakes here and there throughout the course of a game. Even, you know, when you have a guy on the mound that's doing really well and, you know, just hope that the stuff's good enough to where you might be able to get away with a couple here and there and then get right back on track and execute uh, the game plan. But it's definitely a, uh, a chore to try to get through a lineup like that. And, you know, I'm glad I'm on the other side watching it on TV because it's a lot <laughs> more, it's more fun to watch for sure. than trying to figure out how to get those guys out. <laughs> so yeah, this lineup is clearly uh, incredible. And so is this lineup that they're about to go up against. So you got the Astros, the Red Sox meeting up in the ALCS, two incredible offenses how do you see this one shaping up, Alex? What, what do you got here in this series? How does this series play out? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think, I think it goes, I think it goes the distance. Um, you have, like you said, you have two offenses that are hot right now. You know, teams that are scoring runs um, and and pitching staffs that have pitched okay, maybe not all the way to their potential, but they've pitched okay, and both managers have, have done good jobs as as far as managing their bullpen and getting the guys in that they need to, uh, to get those high leverage outs. Um, and I, th I think you're just going to see more of that. I think you're going to see some games that are going to be high scoring, um, you know, mixed in with a couple low scoring games there, obviously, but um, I think it goes the distance. Um, and I think we're going to see a good seven game series. That'd be incredible. I'm here for that. Uh, all right, let's move on to the national league. Um, Let's, fin let's start with the series that's finished up. Braves, Brewers, the series is over. The Braves are advancing, and they're a team that you know pretty well. You, you played in that division this year for the first time with the Nationals, so you got to play against the Braves. Look, to come in, coming into this season, I had the Braves as my World Series prediction. I picked them to win it, and then Ronald Acuna goes down, who's one of the best players in all of baseball. And, and a lot of people kind of wrote them off after that. This team can't can't win at all without him and and Soroka being a part of this. 
What is it about this team? How are they still so good without the best player in baseball? They, they lose one of the best players, an MVP favorite to start the year, and now we're about to watch them in the NLCS. Yeah, well, I think first off, the, to answer that question as far as Acuna, I think Anthopolis did an awesome job, obviously, at the deadline to, to acquire Duvall, Solaire, and, uh, and Peterson in order to make up for some of that uh, production loss from Acuna. But, and those guys, all three of them have played a huge part in their success down the stretch of the second half and obviously in the playoffs. Uh, so that, that's one. I think you know, that's, that's a big factor there. Uh, they've had some big pitching performances from, from Max Fried and their bullpen, uh, which is, was kind of like the question mark going in as far as like, you know, trying to bridge that gap to, to Smith, uh, have, they've gotten some guys like we were talking about earlier. Some guys are hot. Some guys are pitching well and, and, and getting big outs and they threw really well against the Brewers. Um, it, overall, that was a pretty well-pitched game, obviously with the Brewers starting rotation, but, um, I think, the, the biggest key for me on that team, though, is always going to be Freddie Freeman. And obviously his heroics, you know, yeah. yesterday was was incredible. And he's one of my favorite players to watch. I love the way he goes about, you know, playing every single day, he posts up every single day. And, you know, he's a fun guy to watch. Great to talk to. And I mean, he had me out of my seat yesterday when I saw that live, the the, the home run off a of hater, um, you know, that. I've never faced Hater, but I faced Chris Sale a few times, so I could only kind of imagine <laughs> what it's like. And the fact that he has two homers off him like blows my mind. <laughs> so you mentioned one. It's funny you mentioned that the Braves acquire three good baseball players to just try right. and make up <laughs> for how good Ronald Acuna is. But one of those guys right. is Jock Peterson, who arguably was the MVP of this series Without, he started one game. He hardly started in this series. Hits a huge three-run home run and a three-nothing and a three-nothing victory. Hits another home run. He he ends up three for his first three with two bombs. How difficult is it? And I, you've done this. You, you know how difficult is it to come off of the bench in a big game late in the game and produce like that? Like that, that is so difficult. How impressive has it been what he did in that series? No, that's really impressive. And you're right to point that out because it is very, very difficult because you're not afforded three or four at-bats in the game. So there's 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 no kind of feeling out the at-bat. You're not feeling out a pitcher. You're not trying, um, you know, to, to kind of fear your way into a game. And you have one opportunity, basically. And, you know, typically when you're the pinch hitter, you're going to have that one pitch. If you miss it, good luck. And you know, he made the most of his at-bats that he got uh, prior to starting the last game. But uh, you're right. It, it is extremely difficult. I don't think people realize how difficult it is to pinch hit, come off the bench like that late in games, uh, in big situations, and to be able to, to, to execute on what your game plan might be. And usually you're facing one of the better relievers on, <laughs> right. on the opposing team. So, you know... The, the odds are always going to be stacked against you in those situations. So what he's di what he did was pretty uh, pretty incredible, and, and like you said, a big reason why they're in the position they're in. So let's before we move on to this this other matchup, which is still going on. I got to ask you this: if you're Craig Council, or if you're you, because if you're Alex Avila, who I think is going to be a big league manager someday <laughs> and going to be great at it. So let's say you're managing the Brewers. Do you start Corbin Burns? in game four. That one caught me a little by surprise. Would you have started in there? Um, 
I mean, not really knowing anything was go- what, what was going on as far as uh, behind the scenes there. I mean, yeah, he was the best pitcher in baseball. Um, you know, this season, I think um, when you look at look at his numbers and what he was able to do. Uh, so when you're in that position where you're kind of backs against the wall, you want your guy, even if he doesn't start, like, you know, your best guy's giving you that chance. But obviously we, d- we don't know the whole story. Right. And, you know, you never know how, you know, what what kind of goes into the thought process and their decision making process. And obviously, you know, being on, you know, short rest takes into account. So uh, but, you know, usually when your backs against the wall like that, you're you're going to pull out all the stops. Right, and we saw that last night with Walker Bueller going out there for the Dodgers and, and throwing really well, which leads into this series. It's, it's not even over yet as we talk. Game five coming up. What, how cool is it, one, this matchup? You have the two best teams in baseball. They're the best, one of the best rivalries in all of baseball, all time in baseball. They're division rivals. They've never met in the playoffs, and now we get them for the first time in a Game 5 NLS matchup and to go to the NLCS. How awesome has this series been? Yeah, no, the, the series has been great. It's lived up to the hype, and, you know, they've been playing really good baseball. Uh, both teams obviously, you know, figuring out ways to get it done without their, you know, first basemen. And, you know, the fact that they get, they're meeting in a Game 5 situation, you got no other games going on. Uh, it'll be it'll be fun to watch, and I think all of baseball is kind of excited for this matchup. Uh, I'm excited to watch Logan Webb uh, pitch after Me you know too. the the, uh, the gem he threw uh, to see how he kind of um, you know uh, comes up after after throwing uh, great the first time. So uh, that that should be fun, and I mean it it, it's, it should be a, a good game, uh, just like the the last four games, and and I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. Me too. A guy that is a big reason that they're here is Max Scherzer who pitched in that wild card game and then threw another, he's, he's thrown mm-hmm. twice. He's thrown great, but it, it made me realize. So you've caught, you've caught Max uh, many times and in his quote prime when, when he should have been in his prime, but it almost seems Alex, <laughs> like he's getting better and better and better as he gets older. How would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, he's uh he, he's definitely been uh, at least for sure maintaining and, and, and definitely getting better. But I think a lot of that just has to do with the, the experience. I mean, he understands him, himself so well. Uh, he knows his mechanics so well. He's able to make adjustments really quick. And I think that's a, well, that's one thing that separates uh, truly great pitchers from good pitchers and good pitchers from, you know, from guys that are you know struggling to, to stay in the big leagues where they're able to make adjustments really quickly. Um, guys like him, um, that you know they're they're not they're not waiting three or four pitches even in inning to make the adjustment and by that time you're you've given up three or four runs they're able to make the adjustment quick but then also adjust to the game uh, and pitch to the scoreboard uh, where you know guys nowadays have a hard time doing that because a lot of it now is you know you're throwing as hard as you can for as long as you can so usually that doesn't that doesn't last too long so. Uh, Max, to his credit, he's been able to figure out ways to uh, to pitch basically with what he has, and you know he still has tremendous stuff, uh, but he's just able to use his experience uh, to his advantage uh, against lineups. And he was a lot of fun to catch again this year for me, and he's he's been great to watch, um, and I, I've always enjoyed it. And he's he's one of the best competitors out there right now. Yeah, you've been with him a, a lot in his career, and in Detroit. 
and you know this year in, in Washington. Now, one thing I know about Max is on days he starts, the energy, the 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 fierceness is on another level. Alex, <laughs> give me give me your best, give me a great Max Scherzer story. Oh man. Um I mean I have a few some that I, I really don't want to divulge um, uh, publicly because I feel like we have uh, we have that. Uh, but I mean, hmm. I mean one that one that I've I've told before, but I, and I don't know if you've heard, but like I mean we've we've had some funny um, interactions on the mound. Um, and, you know, when I've called time and gone out there, although I didn't have to do that much this year because he was just kind of locked in. Uh, but there was one in particular in Detroit. We were in Kansas City, um, and he had two guys on with one out. And it was early in the game, like the second inning. Had already thrown a lot of pitches. But it was late in the year. We had already done our fantasy football draft. So I think this how this the story goes that I've, that I've said a few times that's been out there where I go out there. I didn't really have anything to say to him. I mean, there's not <laughs> much you're going to say to him uh, that, that's going to help him out. So I figured, well, let me just get his mind off uh, baseball for a second. Give him a breather. So I proposed a trade that I've been think I was thinking about, you know, uh, <laughs> proposing to him, and, and fantasy football. And so I said it to him real quick, right when I got out to the mound, and it kind of took him by surprise. He was kind of looking down towards the dirt, you know, shuffling with the ball, and he looks up and he kind of stares me right in the eye, like, "Are you like with the like an are you serious like kind of uh, look on his face?" And I was like, "Yeah, you want to do it? Shake my hand right now." And and then all of a sudden, like he just he he smiled and loved it, loved every minute of it, and actually started thinking about it and was going through uh, the situation. Then at that point, the umpire comes up and trying to hurry <laughs> us up, and we're sitting there trying to make a, a fantasy football trade. And he's like, "Oh, I got to look at some of the numbers. I'll get back to you after the game." So I went back, you know, <laughs> back behind the plate, and you know, not like not under really. Uh, understanding like man what did I really just do that <laughs> and uh, he ended up getting out of the inning and he pitched well that game and I don't know if that had anything to do with it but I figured it was a fun uh, fun little uh, time to you know try something new did he accept the trade after the game no he declined it <laughs> uh, I, 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 try, I tried to get him at a weak moment there in the middle of the game <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> on your part by the way so, okay, so I'm not going to put you on the spot for this series. I'm going to get a prediction from you in a minute. But in, in terms of this series, do you think whoever wins this Game 5, do you think whoever wins this Game 5 ends up advancing to the World Series? I think so, yes. I, I mean, as, as much as I, I've enjoyed the Braves um, and I like what, they're, what, they're, what their pitchers have been doing, I mean, San Francisco and L.A., they've just, they've just been uh, – this whole year for both teams have been uh, incredible. And I think, you know, both teams, whoever comes out of it is just on a collision course for the World Series. I, I totally agree with that. But So now that gets us. That gets us to the World Series, Alex. We got, we got a couple teams still – we still got the Giants, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Astros, the Red Sox. Of all the teams left – who do you like in the World Series? If you were to have to make a prediction right now, we all—I'm great with predictions, by the way. I came out with my—I came out with my bracket, and I absolutely murdered it. So, I want to hear your prediction. Who do you like to win the World Series? Uh, oh man, um, 
you know, I don't know if people are going to like this. Um, I think it's going to be Houston. I think it's going to be Houston. They're just, uh, to me, they look like a team, um, like they've been very businesslike. They look very uh, confident in their, uh, in their abilities, not only offensively, but um, defensively, they're, they're a great team. They're getting, they're getting really quality pitching. Um, And I, I think uh, Houston will probably be, uh, probably be it at the end there. All right. All right. We'll hold you to that. Now we're very serious about our predictions around here. We don't get them wrong very often. Uh, Alex, before I let you go. So you, you, first off, you, you just retired. Congratulations on an incredible career. And you just finished up a season with the Washington Nationals. Now you've played with some of the best hitters to ever do it. And, and one that comes to mind is Miguel Cabrera, who you were with in his prime and is my opinion, one a top three right-handed hitter of all time, top top five hitter of all time, and you got to play with him, and now you get to play with Juan Soto. Talk a little bit about Juan Soto and and just how good he is. Well, Juan, uh, he's, I mean, he's probably the best hitter I've seen uh, since Miguel, and uh, I mean Miguel, I thought was the best hitter I've ever seen. Juan, I, I mean, is is damn near close to that if not better i think juan has a chance to be better um you know as long as he stays healthy um he's i mean just the way the ball comes off the bat i mean people always talk about that because you know it's so easy to see that's the one thing that you see um you know that separates guys like him guys like miguel um from everybody else in, in major league baseball and you know, the way the ball comes off his bat is unlike anything else. It sounds different. Um, but then you couple that with his incredible plate discipline. Um, I, I mean, I, I heard something right at the end of the year where he he didn't swing at a, a, a pitch above the strike zone the entire season. He didn't swing at a ball at the top of the strike <laughs> zone that was out of the strike zone the entire season, which what? is uh, that's insane to me. Yeah. He, and I mean, it just his ability to, to be able to control the strike zone, uh, make contact, uh, and also hit for power, drive in runs. I mean, he's, he's about as complete a hitter as you would want on a team, uh, a, a hitter that everyone looks for as far as scouts and teams. Um, and he has the opportunity um, to be, you know, one of the best hitters ever, I think. Uh, just from watching him play, I was excited to, to play with him this year. Uh, and, you know, he uh, – he didn't disappoint at all. He's and he's, he's an extremely hard worker. He's a student of the game, uh, so you know I I, I see a lot, many many great years from him, uh, as long as he stays healthy and and uh, and and uh, keeps himself into shape, which he's a tremendous athlete in, in that regard. So uh, it should be fun to watch him for the rest of his career. That's incredible. You said he's a student of the game. One thing that that I remember from this year, his first half of the season, the the power numbers weren't there per se, and he. He said, and I don't know if he like meant this, he said he was going to participate in the home run derby just so he could figure out his swing. And then he goes on and has the best second half that we have maybe ever seen. It was absolutely incredible. Was that serious? Did he do the home run derby just for that reason? Yeah, no, that's something that, you know, like as a team, a few of us like in the cage and stuff had like talked about with him. I know Scherzer was something that had mentioned that to him as well. Because uh, I mean, he was at the in the big, in the first half, even though he was doing good, uh, was just having a hard time getting the ball in the air. Um, and you know, I, I guess just 
you know, having having uh, pre- having to prepare for the home run derby, um, you know, a couple of weeks before, once he knew he was going into, it, he started, you know, preparing for it, you know, taking, um, you know, more of like, you know, batting practice and trying to hit home runs and trying to, you know, tweak his swing a little bit. And going into that home run derby, you could tell he started to feel real comfortable, obviously, with uh, being able to get the ball in the air. And you're right. I mean, he just kind of took it into the second half and, you know, just went off and was was absolutely incredible. And was kind of like that guy that everyone was saying, like, you know, how he was the previous year and the year before that when he came. And, I mean, it was fun to watch. And usually that's not always the case. Guys don't go into the home run derby excited that it's going to help their swing. (laughs) Usually you hear guys saying, "Uh, I don't want to do the home run derby because it might hurt my swing. But, um, you know, that's funny that that he he was the opposite. And, you know, I feel like only a guy like Juan who has that kind of trajectory, uh, you know, um, you know, towards like a hall of fame player can, uh, can think that way and, you know, and be successful like that. Cause that was pretty fun. It was fun. And, and before I let you go, Alex, speaking of fun, and I know you said that you've followed along with the show and you've seen some of it. So, you know, my favorite player is Shohei Otani. So I got to ask you about <laughs> Shohei Otani and the year that he just had, that we just witnessed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't explain it. I've asked a lot of people about him. I want to hear what you think and, and thought of the season that we just watched from Shohei Otani. Yeah, no, you know, I, I was kind of uh, upset a little bit and bummed out that I, I didn't get to uh, play against him this year and actually see him up close in person. Uh, but obviously seeing the highlights and watching games like everyone else and what he did um, was was incredible. I mean, I mean, nobody nobody's seen that since Babe Ruth. And I, I can't remember who it was who said it like kind of in the middle of the year. But I remember it, it just kind of stuck in my head about Shohei was that, you know, he was doing what, you know, all of us did in Little League. Like you, you, you'd pitch and hit and you did really well. Typically most big leaguers, you know, did, did both really well in little league and he's doing it in the big leagues at the highest level against the best competition in the world. I mean, for that, that stuck with me when I heard that in the middle of the year, I don't know who said it, but they were spot on with that because you know, it's just, you know, there's no words to kind of explain what he's been able to do. And I I'm sure there's going to be some guys and some teams that try to replicate it and, they'll probably fail miserably um, because, you know, really he's probably the only guy um, that I've ever seen that has the athletic ability to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like you were onto something down the stretch of your career, being behind the plate and then going out and playing middle infield. I mean, I feel like we were getting close to you being a show. Hey, Otani. Yeah. yeah. You saw, you saw how that went, that went for me. I tried to play second base one day and I streamed both pads. <laughs> that was fun. I, I saw on Twitter, you were coming into the game and I could not have put on the game faster than when, when I knew you were going out to play second base. <laughs> <laughs> oh god alex thank you so much for joining me man uh it's been awesome i've watched your career for a long time and and watched you with my brother's team and watched your career along the way and and congratulations on a great career thank you so much for joining me enjoy the rest of the playoffs and and enjoy whatever comes next whether it be you back on tv or managing someday but uh congratulations on everything man thanks ben i really appreciate it keep it up man you're doing awesome i appreciate that man see ya All right, and thanks to Alex Avila for joining me. Somebody just out of the game, being able to talk to him and pick his brain about the playoffs was awesome. But now 
Let's bring in our gambling specialist, Sammy P, and win you all some money throughout the rest of October. Sammy P, as everyone else likes to call him, Sammy Paniotovich, as I like to call him, because that's his actual name that just nobody else knows how to pronounce, but I do. Sammy, welcome back in, my friend. Thank you for joining me. Happy to be here. I wore the purple for Taco Bell, but I wore the suit, Ben, for the White Sox funeral I attended about three hours ago. I still can't believe that Anderson, Moncada, Robert Abreu, and Eloy Jimenez got no extra base hits in the entire ALDS. <laughs> if, if you would have told me that was going to happen, I wouldn't have bet the Boston or the uh, Chicago White Sox for that matter. What a disaster they were at the plate. It really, it really was. But Sammy, again, thanks for joining me. We got you back. We're going to talk some ALCS. We're going to talk some World Series. We're going to let you tell the people where they should be putting their money in these these upcoming weeks when it comes to the rest of the baseball playoffs. So we've had you on a couple times. I'm excited to have you back. And let's start with the remaining matchup we have in the division series. We have the Giants and we have the Dodgers. The series is shifting back to San Francisco for a game five winner take all matchup to go to the NLCS. And, uh, you know, the odds here are minus 110 on both sides. So, you know, as even as it gets. So what do you like here in this game five matchup? I love the Giants bullpen. I don't like, I love. And when you look at the starters, Webb and Arias, you know, I think this is a game where both guys probably go five innings, maybe five and a third, five and two thirds. And then it goes to the pen. And who's been better regular season, postseason than the San Francisco Giants? I mean, they just throw guys at you. They get guys out. And I think it's very telling, Ben, because we know how people bet the Dodgers. They bet them until, you know, the cows come home. The fact that this is minus 110 tells me everything I need to know here. The Dodgers probably true line is like minus 130, minus 135 or so. But there's a lot of respect in Las Vegas. We know that the books don't need the Giants to win and go far. But the fact that they're pricing this as a coin flip against the very popular L.A. Dodgers club. I love the Giants. I was all in the Giants before the series, and I'm not going to change my mind now. You were. And this is another situation, it sounds like, where, you know, if this wasn't the Dodgers involved, you know, the odds would probably be 130. But because it is the Dodgers and people like to bet on them, it's minus 110 on both sides. Before we move on from this game, Sammy, do you like anything? Uh, you, you got any props you're going to bet on this game? Yeah, I was flipping through the phone here. I got the Fox Bet app up, and I found a couple right. that I really like. I'm only going to give you one, though. Chris Bryant to hit a home run and the Giants to win is plus 550. So 100 makes me 550. I don't know how you feel about Bryant, but I've seen him do this in big games in Chicago for years. When the stakes are high, this guy thumps the ball. I don't know that he's going to get one over the wall, but given the math, you're going to give me 550 on Bryant to homer and the Giants to win. I'll throw a little bit of coin down. Why not? Here's what I know. I know that Chris Bryant in the regular season is always very streaky. I know when it comes playoff time, he seems to rake. And I also know that you are a pro's pro by only giving us one of the many props that I know you have. That's an absolute pro right there. Sammy, let's move on to the American League side of, uh, side of things, the ALCS. We got the Houston Astros and we got the Boston Red Sox. The Houston Astros are minus 162 to win this series. They got home field advantage as well. The Red Sox are plus 135. What are you looking at in this series? 
the lineup for the Red Sox getting plus 135 is very intriguing to me. And I thought they were a little undervalued in that series against Tampa. Remember, Tampa opened minus 200 against Boston. So this is a big correction in the market. Vegas opened this minus 150 on the Astros. So that's a 50 cent drop from the Rays to the Astros. That's pretty telling, right? I think the Astros, and give our guy Jacob Sarabia, who hasn't left me alone on Twitter since game one or game two of the ALDS, give him a little hat tip. Congrats, he got past the White Sox. But this is a tougher test because the Red Sox, two through six, two through seven in that lineup, they are unconscious right now, man. I know it's a small sample size, but through the postseason so far, Red Sox have the highest average, most hits, highest slugging, and most home runs. Good luck with that lineup. And when I saw Lance McCullers leave last game with forearm tightness, it made me a little nervous because we know Houston doesn't have the horses in the rotation. This will be a slugfest of a series, and I think it could go either way. If that's the case, if I make it a coin flip, of course I'm going to take plus 135 before I lay 162. That's no problem. So are you looking at – is there a, a series handicap you would look at here? Yeah, so this is essentially, Ben, it's a spread on the series. They give you – or you take a game and a half. So essentially here, if the Red Sox make it to game six or game seven, you're good, right? I mean, like that's the math here. So if it goes to game seven, I get the one and a half. Red Sox lose the series four to three. One and a half plus three is four and a half. So this has to go the distance here. But as I said, I don't like either rotation. I don't really like either bullpen. This has all the makings of a classic seven game series. The Red Sox don't have to win the series. As long as it goes the distance, I can't lose. There's a little bit of juice here, minus 154, but I think the Red Sox have every chance to win it. And if in this case, if they lose in game seven, I will win. Give me plus one and a half games with the Boston Red Sox. So you get them here, even if the Astros, the Astros can still win the series here. If it goes seven games, though, you win your bet. And any, any situation, any scenario where the Red Sox win the series – you win this bet as well. So that's what Red Sox plus one and a half means, correct? As long as they're within a game, you know, if the series ends 4-3 Astros, if the series wins or ends 3-2 or, you know, whatever, 4-3 Red Sox, you win that bet no matter what. Yeah, Red Sox win the series, I'm cool. Red Sox lose 4-3, to three, I'm cool. As long as it's not 4-2, to 4-1, to 4 nothing Astros, Red Sox plus one and a half is a winner. I'm going to be honest with you, Sammy. I don't know, man. I, I really feel this Astros team, they're road warriors, man. They have embraced the whole villain role. If there's anybody that's not going to be intimidated going into Fenway Park on the road in front of that hostile crowd, it's these guys. Not only will they not be intimidated, I think they embrace it. Um, I'm really, really excited to see this series because, you know, I think we both kind of went in a direction of, Pitching is going to win in the playoffs. We like this team because of pitching. That's why we both like the White Sox. And then we now have this series, which is all offensive oriented. And I'm super excited to watch it. So we got your bet there. We like what you like, or we got what you like in Red Sox plus one and a half series handicap. So let's move on to some World Series odds. What do you like in terms of some best bets we can find in the World Series? Well, this is predicated on this team taking care of business in a do-or-die spot. San Francisco Giants at the number plus 350. So I told you before this whole thing started, I thought it would be the White Sox and the Giants. One of my teams, RIP, it's all over, but I will stick with the Giants here. If they win this seventh game, or the fifth game rather, I'm so used to the seven-game series, right? If they win this fifth game against the Dodgers, 
this price gets cut down to maybe 225 or two to one. You might see a very similar price with the Giants and the Astros, but I'm going to get ahead of the curve here. I want the Giants to win game five and to win the World Series. You get ahead of the move, you get more money in your pocket, plus 350. I think they slay the Giants, and by the Giants, I mean the Dodgers. I think the Giants are <laughs> going to put away the there. Dodgers, move on to the NLCS, and that'll be a hell of a series. What if we get, Ben, what if we get Red Sox and Astros and Giants and Braves? Holy offense. That's going to be an awesome Final Four. So what you're saying is if you like the Giants – get ahead of this final game because if you like them in the world series that means they have to beat that means they have to win this next game and you might as well bet it before their odds plummet after you know after this following after this game five correct so bet it before this game even starts yeah i mean and that goes to the same people that like the dodgers look i like the giants if you like the dodgers my advice would be to bet one of those two teams right now don't wait until game five is over and then look up and go boom i like the dodgers or oh i like the giants because you're not going to get the best price if you feel it in your gut that one of these teams is going to move on and win the world series bet it before that fifth game because the price will only go down on the winner sammy you're a legend, my friend. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me. I love having you on, man. Uh, best of luck in all, your, in all your future bets. And on top of that, you're the best dressed man in all of the gambling world, and that's why I most love having you on. So, my friend, thank you so much for joining me. I'll have you back on soon. Chris Bryant, buddy. Going yabo. You pay attention. <laughs> all right, buddy. See it. Thanks. All right, I wanted to thank again Alex Avila for joining me, Sammy P for joining me as well. Two great guests in the middle of this playoff, in the middle of October, two great guys to join me. So now what I want to do is get into some top fives. I love doing these. We got a couple of them, a few of them for you today. Top five playoff performances, top five playoff atmospheres, and top five active base stealers. So let's get into that, and let's start with top five postseason performers. I'm going to bring producer Conrad out here, as usual, to help me through these. Conrad, let's go. All right, number five, we have Lance McCullers. Yeah, look, Lance McCullers in number five. What he's done this postseason has been nothing short of great. Start number one in Houston, game one of the ALDS. He was dominant. And then what they did after a rainout, by the way, is he wasn't even supposed to start in game four but they end up going through the rain out they end up getting pushed back a day and then lance mccullers comes out to start dusty baker goes for the jugular you know what the white Sox are sticking with their starter we're gonna go with our guy we're gonna go with lance mccullers and what he did was was this he brought the energy he brought it they th he threw great look this guy now in the postseason one and oh with a an ERA right around one. But what he did the other day when he, when he won that series for the Astros is why he's on this list. He goes back out, and he dominated for the Astros on the road in a hostile environment in Chicago, and he threw fantastic twice already in October. That's why he's here. That's why he's number five on this list. All right, coming up at number four, Mr. Jocktober himself, Jock Peterson. That's right, Jocktober, baby. It's Jocktober. Look, this guy didn't. This guy hasn't even started but one time in the playoffs. Jock Peterson has started one game, and that's actually the game that he didn't get a single hit. But what he's done in this postseason before that 
three at-bats off the bench, pinch hitting. He's on this list for what he did, pinch hitting. Three for three, two bombs, first game of the, first game of the NLDS against the Brewers, pinch hits late in the game, hits a bomb. They end up losing two to one. All of their offense right here, Jocktober with the pearls, the pearl necklace, all their offense. They end up losing. They win game two. He pinch hits that game. He gets a hit. And then they go home. A one-to-one -one series. Jock Peterson comes up in that game. Hits a three-run bomb late in the game. Rocking the pearl necklace again. Three-run bomb. They win three-nothing. That's all the offense. That's all you need. They win the game three-nothing. So in two of the games in this series that the Braves won, he was every single bit of their offense. That's why... He's on this list, and that's why he's on here after only starting one of the four games that the Braves and the Brewers played. What a series for him. All right, number three, we have Logan Webb. Logan Webb. First thing I need to say about him being number three is he's expected to start game five of the NLDS against the Dodgers, and he very well could end up right here. After his game one performance, seven and two-thirds, 10 strikeouts, only a couple of hits. He set the tone for this series for the Giants. He absolutely set the tone. A brilliant outing, uh, a win for the Giants. They end up shutting the door behind him. But probably to this point, probably to this point, I would say, this has been the best outing of the postseason amongst starting pitchers. He was brilliant in that game. So he's at number three right now with the potential to easily finish right here. Uh, but we'll see what he does in game five for 